it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom Starts now. All right, folks. Well, welcome to Investing for Beginning podcast. Today we have session seventeen. This is Dave Ahern, and I have Andrew Sather with me today, as always. Today we're going to have a little fun and talk about cash flow statements. We're going to walk you through how to read a cash flow statement. I thought this would be very fun and a little interesting. I'm hoping to learn a little bit too, so I think this is going to be fun, Andrew. We're going to talk a little bit about Berkshire Hathaway since we're going to, we've talked a little bit about him in the past. He's kind of a little bit of the maestro and the mastro. So we'll talk a little bit about Warren Buffett and his company and how he lays out his cash flow statement and dive a, deep, a little deep into that. So Andrew, why don't you go ahead and start us off? So I think it's important to understand where the cash flow statement lands when it comes to the financial statements in general. So every company needs to submit an annual report. And this is any company that's listed on any U.S. stock exchange. They are all regulated by the SEC and they're all required to submit what's called a Form 10-K, which is their annual report. It shows the past three years of financial data on the income and the cash flow and then the last two on the balance sheet. So when you hear these different statements that we're referring to, there is the three major ones are broken down into an income statement, which let me let me explain in a simple way what each of these three mean. But there's an income statement, there is a balance sheet, and there's a cash flow statement. So a great way to understand what happens on business level is to compare that to how it happens on the personal level, because we all know how the personal level of finances work because we all live it. So when you look at an income statement, that's kind of actually the same as looking at like a somebody's tax return. So what's what's going to be on an income statement is going to be 
how much money somebody makes as a salary from their job. Simple enough. And really, when you look at companies in the stock market, it's the same way. Um, it's calculating how much they are earning every single year. It's factors in things like taxes, you know, other accounting terms like depreciation and interest and all those types of things. But at the end of the day, you have what's called a bottom line. And that's, it's called the bottom line. It's, it's uh, another way of saying profits. And it's literally the bo- the bottom line on the income statement. And that tells you how much a company has earned, what their profits are. And it's the same way with you in, in your life. It's you know how much you bring home from your job. You can think of maybe revenue as, or I'm sorry, your gross income as what the revenue row is on, on a company's income statement. And then however much you pay in taxes and then you have a net, a net income. And that's the same as the net income on the company's income statement. So the next one would be a balance sheet. And if you think about a balance sheet for a company, it's the exact same as a person's net worth. So if you, the person were to add up everything that you own minus all of your debts, that gives you your net worth. So let's say you have a spreadsheet, you got your house on there, the resale value of your car or cars, and then maybe a couple of investment accounts, brokerage accounts, maybe a savings account or two, maybe a couple of retirement accounts. And then you got your debts. You got maybe a credit card, student loan if you're young, maybe a home equity line of credit if you're older. And all those things added up onto a spreadsheet, they make your assets minus your liabilities that equals your net worth. And for a company, it's the exact same way. They have a balance sheet and you know, there's all these different rows and columns and all these different numbers. But if you look closely enough, you'll see it has the same concept as if you were to make a spreadsheet at home. You have a row that's called total assets and then you have a row that's called total liabilities. And then when you subtract the liabilities from the assets, you get what's called shareholders equity. And that can be seen as the same as the net worth of a company. If the company were to close tomorrow, basically they would take all their assets, they would sell them off and they would pay off all their liabilities and whatever's left would be distributed out to shareholders. So when we talk about Benjamin Graham and value investing and intrinsic value and then finding a margin of safety emphasis on the safety and that margin is the difference between the intrinsic value we start by using price to book value or book value by the way is the same as shareholders equity because it is on the most basic level a way to show what a company is worth because of that exact scenario if you were to liquidate a business and you're going to sell everything off, just like if somebody were to pass away and their estate would be divvied up, the debts would be paid off and the rest is distributed out. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry I lost my train of thought. My dog was humping my leg. Um, <laughs> bottom line, okay, the, the balance sheet, that's what it is. It's the same as the net worth of a company. It's the same as the net worth of an individual. And it's really a great basic way to figure out what the company is worth and what they own, what they owe. So the last one, which we want to focus on today is the cash flow statement. And in a sense, this one is more like your checking account balance is one way I like to think of it. You know, 
you you have your earnings that are coming in from your job and then you know things go in and out of your checking checking account but you always need to have some sort of liquidity in your checking account because if all your bills come due at once and then you don't have enough money in there you're gonna have what's called a liquidity problem and this is what they have in the stock market with businesses and so when businesses don't have cash you know real live cold hard physical cash then they often have to take on a lot of debt to get to get cash quickly and in some cases you'll see companies go bankrupt because they have these short-term liquidity problems so the cash flow statement can actually tell you exactly what the cash balance is in the account you know basically what what their checking account balance is and it's also a good indicator in a way it can sometimes indicate what's going to go on in the income statement so you know if you have a couple of good years of cash flow um, sometimes that that can just indicate and you'll see it reflect in the earnings a year or two later it's it's really kind of one of those accounting things that i don't really want to get into because my dog just humped my leg and i don't want to put my mind there right now and let's just keep it all simple so really i like to look at the cash flow statement as a checking balance and i'm going to tie it in at the end of why that kind of makes my philosophy about the cash flow statement different than a lot of the other investors out there a lot of really respected investors and successful investors use the cash flow statement to predict either the value of a business or the value of how much cash they're going to get into the business. And and they'll use that to kind of predict where earnings are going to go and what kind of growth the company is going to see. I've talked before how like on Shark Tank, this is something they like to do a lot. And it's it works really well with particularly with businesses that are growing. And again, I mean, if, if you want to go on the blog and check out one of the articles I did about net cash, I really go in depth and then into detail about how for growing companies, small companies, companies in that growth stage, how using the cash flow statement as a valuation metric can really be beneficial to people in that stage. But I take kind of a different stance when it comes to looking at the cash flow statement overall and really seeing it as more of a checking balance than as a predictive measure. That all said, we're still going to cover it in a general way and kind of like a a step-by-step approach, but also try to keep it simple like I have just now so that you can pull up a cash flow statement on your own at home and not feel completely overwhelmed. I have one pulled up right now in front of me on my screen and, you know, the fonts like at a six and it's just, I don't know, probably 40 or 50 lines of all these different really big jargon accounting business words that I mean, it's very overwhelming if you don't know what you're looking at and you don't have this kind of like guide map of how we can dissect it. So that's what we want to try to do today is try to give you that overview and that guide map so you can do the research on your own whenever you want to. 
I like the way you put that. That was, you know, the guide map is, you know, something that I think is critical to something like this. I know for myself personally, when I started trying to work through these documents, it was confusing. It's, you know, there's a lot of accounting and really makes it, it makes me wish I'd paid attention to my accounting classes when I was college because I sure didn't. And, but when I started reading through these, you know, it, it was one of those situations where I had to kind of look back. What does this mean? <clears throat> Excuse me. Look back. What does this mean? Well, what does this mean? What does this mean? You know, eventually, you get to the point where you do understand what the terms mean and kind of how they work. You know, one thing I wanted to add to everything that Andrew was kind of laying out is kind of how the how the statements work. Think of them as they all flow into each other. And the income statement flows into the balance sheet, which flows into the cash flow statement. So one kind of feeds into the other. And, you know, one thing that I like to keep in mind with the balance sheet is when you're looking at those numbers, some of those numbers are, are big numbers when you're looking at the total assets and the total liabilities. The, the, the balance sheet is, is a snapshot of the, the value of the business for one day. The income statement and the cash flow statements are, in essence, living and breathing entities, but the balance sheet is a sta- stable, static, one day look at this is what the business is. If you slice it in half and start looking at the guts of it, this is what it's going to be worth on that particular day. So it's, you know, even though it is an annual statement, it's really more of a snapshot of that particular day when they filed this report. So it is, you know, it's not going to be quite the same as the cash flow. Cash flow statement is a living, breathing thing, just like our checking accounts are. I think that's a great analogy that, that Andrew used that, you know, really makes it kind of a living, breathing thing. And it really, you know, the cash flow statement is in essence broken up into, you know, four different parts from the operating. So the cash flow is from the operating activities cash flow from the investing activities and then there's cash flow from financing activities and at the bottom there's cash and cash equivalents at the end of the year and the parts in between those I'm going to be honest with you they can change from company to company although every company has to file these reports with the SEC they don't all break them down as minutely or as maybe clearly and concisely as, for example, Berkshire Hathaway does. Uh, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger are fastidious about this kind of thing, and they're very active about making sure that they break everything down. And it's, you know, to use a political term that's very popular lately, it's very transparent. They try to make sure that everybody understands this is where their money's going and this is what's being used for because they understand that we as shareholders have the right to see what's going on with our money when we invest in Berkshire Hathaway. You know, there's two shares of Berkshire Hathaway. I won't go into that a whole lot, but there's a uh, Berkshire A and a Berkshire B. And the Berkshire A gives you voting rights in the company. Berkshire B is not. The Berkshire A is selling for a cool $243,000 a share, so more than Andrew and I are worth combined together. Uh, and then, like <laughs> oh, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the Berkshire B is for more like peasants like us, which still is selling it in 160 some bucks a share right now. So it's still more than I'm worth. Yeah. So, you know, they're still, uh, you know, they're, they're not, they're not cheap companies, but you wouldn't expect that from Warren Buffett. So I guess this is the, the point I'm trying to make with this is that, um, as we're talking about this, I would highly recommend that you go to sec.gov 
and type in Berkshire Hathaway and pull up the 10K for Berkshire Hathaway. And that way you can kind of follow along with us as we're talking through this. Now, as somebody who is, you know, teaching himself how to do this myself, as I've gone through this on other companies when I've been writing articles, I can tell you from experience that there are some companies that are not as clear as Berkshire's is. And there are, they, I don't know if they're doing it intentionally or if they're just, you know, they just don't pay as much attention to it. They don't think it's as important as, as Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger do. So, you know, this is kind of a little bit of a treat because as you're looking, looking at it, it's like everything is weighed out and it makes sense from where things are going and what's going with it. So with all that, Andrew, why don't we go ahead and start talking about the cash flows from operating activities? Hey, you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Yeah, so operating activities, that's going to define what the core of the business is. A business can do a lot of different things, and especially a business like Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, where they're taking big chunks of cash and they're either buying businesses outright, sometimes they'll buy ownership stakes, and then sometimes they'll buy individual shares in the stock market of companies that they want a piece of. So when we talk about operating activities, we are basically operating activities is excluding other aspects like what I just talked about with trying to buy a company out or things like debt and other financial shenanigans. The the operating activities are going to be the core business. Basically, if you take a grocery store how much money they're bringing in into the cash register minus how much they are paying their employees minus how much it costs to keep the lights on minus what did I miss? Uh, how much they pay for the food themselves. And so in a nutshell, that would be operating activities. So in Berkshire's 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 uh, operating activities, cash flow portion, the very top they have net earnings, which like we said, that's the bottom line. That's the part of the income statement that all the analysts on Wall Street care about other than earnings per share, which is a derivative of net earnings. Anyway, that's going to give us that's gonna give us the core of the business. There's a couple other things on here. Let's see. Investment gains and losses. I don't know if, Dave, maybe you can comment. This generally wouldn't be in operating activities, but maybe because Berkshire is like a conglomerate and they own a lot of companies, then they include this part in operating activities. Yeah, that, that's exactly why they would do that. Okay, because I mean they're they're different than than like a, like the grocery store example in that their core business is almost buying businesses outright. Yes, not, it is. Not really like a hedge fund or an investment no. fund, but. They're kind of a, you know, they're kind of a mixed bag because they have insurance companies and they have somebody like Kraft Heinz, which is, you know, in essence, a, you know, um, a grocery store kind of company, you know, and then they, you know, they have other businesses they own like Geico, you know, which is in completely insurance business. So, I mean, they have a lot of different things, but the investment gains and losses is, you know, because their core business is buying other companies and then being kind of a, an overlord of all those businesses, although they let them run themselves, this is still something that they have to account for. Yeah. So, I mean, on a lot of different companies, it probably will go inside the investing activities section. Yes. 
for Berkshire, it's an exception. And then the other big thing I wanted to highlight from operating activities is depreciation and amor- amortization. Amortization. Thank you. You're welcome. I guess I didn't pay attention in the county either. <laughs> the depreciation, amortization, those terms, everybody can kind of figure out depreciation. That's how your, the value of your car goes down every year because as the parts get broken down and things become less reliable, the value goes down. Amortization, I'm blanking. You're the, you're the one with kind of a better background in some of these banking terms, Dave. What, what does that one mean? <laughs> Uh, amortization is where you take you let's say you buy a computer and you spend a thousand dollars on a computer your you, the accounting rules allow you to fix a value for that to, to basically amortize, amortize that over a 10 year period so let's say you, you buy it for you know a thousand dollars you can assign that a hundred dollars amortization that you can use to you know write off every year for $100. And so at the end of those 10 years, you have in essence you've paid off of that that um that computer and then you can use that money to buy a new computer in essence. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay. So both of those things, I mean, the amortization is kind of more of a tax thing. Depreciation really deals with the asset value. There's a term called EBITDA which I don't know if you're a beginner, maybe you haven't heard of it. If you've done a little more research, you maybe have heard of it. And it's another valuation metric. We don't really cover it all that much between Dave and I. But it, is, it can be useful. And when you hear the EBIT dots talking about that DA part at the end is depreciation and amortization. So basically, it's, it's going to reflect in the cash flow statement because at the end of the day, these things are going to affect what the balances look like because as they're it's, I know it's confusing and I apologize, but this is just kind of the, this is the price we pay to to try to understand this stuff. (laughs) The depreciation amortization, it, I believe it doesn't show in the income statement. So they have to account for it elsewhere, but Mm -hmm. everything like, kind of how Dave said, everything flows through each other. These things all have checks and balances. So you might see, and I'm giving an example. I don't know if this is a hundred percent true, which is <laughs> again, why it's important. You know, why I like to keep things simple is because you can spend hundreds and thousands of hours analyzing every single number and, and not coming up with a, an actionable thing for your investing. I mean, you could spend an hour analyzing, you could spend a thousand hours analyzing. It's not going to change your result as far as the market's not going to reward you for spending more time. It is obviously important to spend time researching, but let's try to get an overview, which don't worry, we'll give it to you at the end. But again, this is just to try to give you little bits and pieces where you can understand the big factors of the cash flow statement. So the depreciation and amortization, it's going to be, you just think of it as it's going to be checked and balanced from another part of either the balance sheet or the income statement. The amortization probably won't show in net earnings, but will actually affect how much cash they're getting into their checking account, let's say, because of tax, basically for tax purposes. And I'm not sure if depreciation works the same way, but 
that's kind of those are really the big things and then we have like income taxes here at the bottom where again these things are going to affect what the cash flow looks like for the company and it gives you more than just the income statement because the income statement is going to tell you it, it doesn't include these tax specific things like amortization or the balancing of maybe the balance sheet has a higher asset value than it's really worth. And so that's why the depreciation needs to come out basically accounting for the fact that you're going to need to make repairs on equipment or that equipment value is going down over time. And so that's why it's included. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to nerd wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Nope, you're right. All right, so we talked a little bit about that. Let's move on to the cash flow from investing activities. Now, this one here, as you can notice, there's a lot of purchases and one of the things that I like about the way that they lay this out is we were talking a little bit about when when Buffett and Munger will buy a company. Right here, they have a line item that says purchase of Kraft Heinz common stock. So in 2015, they laid out 52, well, 5 billion, 258 million to buy 
Kraft Heinz common stock. And so that in 2015, they bought that company along with another company. But the nice thing about this is that they lay this out so you can see that outlay of money that they use to buy that company. You also notice that they have purchase of U.S. Treasury bills, purchase of equity securities. And you notice that these are all in parentheses, which means it's a negative number. So that means that the money has been taken out of their account and given to the U.S. Treasury to purchase those. So that's a negative against their their cash flow. So just like when we buy groceries or we buy gas or we buy, you know, stocks, it's cash flow out. It's you know, it's still an asset because we have it, we can sell it, we can come back with it. But it, you know, as far as the cash flow goes, it's the money is going out of our account. So the the cash flow from investing activities, this right here is going to show all the different you know, investing activities that this company has. Now, some of these, some companies, when you're going through their 10Ks, you're not going to see as much of this as you will with, for example, Berkshire Hathaway. Let's say you look at somebody like. Apple, for example, they may have much fewer line items on theirs than, than they will here just because they may not be investing as much money um, in, in investments as Berkshire will. So it really kind of depends on the company. And each of these activities are going to be different as you see as you're going through the cash flow statements. Typically, the cash flow is from the operating activities. That's going to be the biggest chunk. Then when we look at the investing activities and the financing activities, they may be lesser or more. Um, so you'll see all the different you know, items in here. And you'll notice that you know at the bottom, the net cash from investing activities is a negative number. So that means that they've outweighed more money than they had in their account technically. They've quote unquote overdrawn their account, which they really haven't. But, you know, as the cash flow statement is flowing down here, this that's kind of how this works. And so that's really I guess my thought on the the cash flow from investing activities. Andrew, did you have anything else you wanted to add? I mean that was that was perfect. I would just add the <laughs> investing activities I tend to notice that they're negative quite often. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense because some of the other things on there like you see purchases of property, plan, and equipment, another way of saying purchases of assets. So these are ways that either the company is reinvesting in the business to create more cash flow down the line, or like Dave said, they're buying treasury bills, um, common stock. So, I mean, unless they're going to make a big, I guess, sale of a, of a investment that they're holding, then you'll you'll tend to see that number be negative and that's fine. I mean, when you think about it, it just means they're reinvesting in the business or even like, like you said, Dave, you, you talked about how the assets might be growing, but that's still cash flow coming out of the account. So it's not a bad thing because if, if it's going to counterbalance the balance sheet and we're going to have higher assets there, then even though our, our checking accounts lower at the end of the day, we're still worth more. So Mm -hmm. I kind of like to look at it that way. And I want to, before we move on to the financing activities, I want to make it like a disclaimer that the the whole thing I was talking about with the taxes and the depreciation amortization, again, if you want to get into it, feel free. Don't take what I'm saying. Just take it with a grain of salt because there's positive (laughs) values and negative values depending on how the accounting is all working. And you just have to do a lot of comparing between the different statements to really get the complete picture. But bottom line is you want to make sure you're getting positive operating activities cash flow and that the big numbers like net earnings and 
and the, the maybe the lack of presence of really big expenses there will show that the core health of the business is still good and that's really what we care about at the end of the day it's it's a big driver of the share price and earnings growth in the future and all those kinds of things so the third section here we're going to talk about financing activities it's very similar to the investing activities that we just covered this is going to talk more about uh, what's going on in the balance sheet in the sense of when it comes to the liability side so basically the debt you'll see things like when they repay either short-term debt or long-term debt or when they take out debt you know you take out a loan in the bank and you get cash in hand and that's cash it you could deposit into a checking account right then and there this is a section where they're going to talk about that. Again, it's not necessarily good or bad depending on just because of a number's there. It's not it doesn't tell us anything. You need to look at the bigger picture. And so if you see a high number there, sure, it could be a good thing, but it could also mean that they're taking on a ton of debt. So you want to compare it with the balance sheet and see if the debt to equity is really rising or falling. And if it's rising too much, but it's making our cash flow nice, maybe that's not that great of a thing because... I mean, you could go to a bank right now and take out a credit card cash advance and suddenly you have 20000 in your account. Is that necessarily a good financial move? No. Sometimes taking out a loan for 2% could be a good thing. So again, these are things that you really need context for. But basically, when you look at that section, you can understand, okay, this is really what they're talking about. And you group all those three things together and that will give you the final section, which we'll cover now. Dave? Yep. So we got the cash and cash equivalents at the end of the year. So this is the, in essence, the bottom line of the cash flow statement. So you'll notice right above there, we have cash and cash equivalents at the beginning of the year. So that was obviously a bigger number. And then we also have the increase slash decrease in cash and cash equivalents. So, you know, so there's a negative number there as well. So, um, the cash and the cash equivalents at the end of the year, this is basically how much free cash flow the company has made at the end of the year. And this is what really drives what the company can use to reinvest back into the company. Or if it's a company that pays dividends, for example, this is basically money you have left over at the end of the year in your, in your checking account. And what the company chooses to do with it is really up to the management. And this is kind of where the rubber meets the road, if you will, with how we view management and companies and what they do with their money. You know, Andrew and I are big proponents of dividends. Uh, Berkshire does not pay a dividend. Uh, Warren Buffett has his specific reasons why he doesn't do that. And we've talked a little bit about that in the past. But he, you know, he's a fantastic capital allocator, which means that he is amazing at using that money to buy other businesses to generate more assets for his company, which increases the value of his company and so on. Not everybody is Warren Buffett, just like not everybody is Michael Jordan. There's just, there's one of them and that's it. But the cool thing about this is when you're looking at this, this is where you can kind of tell you know, what kind of management you have, because then you can see, you know, if it's a more mature company, like let's say Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola chooses to use the majority of their cash and, and their cash equivalents to pay a dividend at the end of the year. And I'm going to back up real quickly, cash and cash equivalents. So cash obviously is, you know, the green stuff. The cash equivalents, what that breaks down into is um, other 
cash like things, whether it's, uh, it could be receivables. So money that you're owed. It could be investments that you've cashed in on. It could be CDs that you have. It could be money that you have sitting in your savings account. Not that a company this size has a savings account, but you know, that's the, so that's really kind of what that is. And the thing that I really like about what Berkshire does that I have never seen another company do, which is really cool. At, at the bottom of this, they have cash and cash equivalents at the year comprised of the following. So we mentioned earlier that Berkshire is kind of a catch-all for a, a lot of different businesses that they that they own and run. And insurance and other is one line item. Railroad, utilities, and energy is another line item. And fan, finance and financial products is another line item. So that 20, 20, um 28048 uh, number we're looking at. They break that down so you can see where this cash is coming from. You can see the the largest portion of it is is the insurance and that's you know a whole other conversation but you know Geico and the other insurance businesses that Berkshire has are cash generating machines. And so, you know, Buffett has, you know, enormous amounts of cash that he's sitting on waiting to use in some way, shape, or form. And the majority of he gets from is from the insurance businesses. As you can see, the other businesses, they do fine. You know, the finance and financial products would be Wells Fargo and American Express. They are not as big a provider of cash for him. But the other ones, they are very much so. And so, you know, you can see kind of where this is all coming from. And I think it's kind of fascinating how he breaks that down. Uh, Andrew, did you have anything else you wanted to add? Yeah, that's really cool. I'll just say, so just, I guess, to wrap up, cash and cash equivalents at the end of the year, this is the one that I'm going to look at when it comes to me making the valuation on the cash flow statement. So I have several ratios that I like to use for the income statement and several I like to use for the balance sheet. But if we go back to the metaphors I made for the three financial statements, I'm really concerned when it comes to the cash flow, having a checking account balance is the same way I'm concerned with having a checking account balance in real life. You know, obviously the goal, the big goal is to try to get that income as, as high as we can get it. So whether that's getting a raise, picking up a second job, whatever that may be, that's going to unlock a big chance for us to have wealth in the future. And, and the more you can increase that cash, the, that income stream, the faster you'll grow wealth and actually the faster it'll all compound because now the wealth you have in, in your balance sheet, quote unquote, you can use to buy stocks, put in your retirement account and those will create income streams and those will create compounding interest. So, you know, that's why a big part of why I like to focus on dividend stocks is because it's creating these income streams and it's making that first financial statement of our life, the income statement, the one that's bringing cash flow in to our finances. That's why there's such a focus there and why I don't see a true investment unless it's creating an income stream for me. And those income streams are just going to grow and compound over time. And that's how wealth is going to be built. Wealth is not going to be built by focusing on increasing the balance sheet numbers. It's going to be by the income numbers. So on the other side of that, if I'm so focused on just having a checking account balance and I want to make sure a company has that, the primary reason that a company would need to have cash is so that they can survive liquidity moments. So times where they're, they need 
you know, they have these expenses that pop up to run the business where, you know, maybe a, a big shipment comes in that you need to pay for, you know, in order to get, keep the business running. Maybe there's some emergency where a building breaks down and you need to spend a bunch of money to fix it so that things can get back to operating. Um, there's all these mil- millions of types of different factors and disruptions that can happen in the business that a company needs cash for. So again, while a lot of different investors like to use cash flow as a predictor and it can be a great tool for that, I'm primarily concerned with making sure that there's a cash balance, making sure that it's basically like this emergency fund in the personal finance world. Everybody likes to talk about having a three to six month cushion of emergency fund in case you lose your job. Well, what's losing your job? Losing your job is losing the income stream. And that income stream is, again, that first financial statement. So same thing with a company. If a company comes across a year where they didn't sell as much product as they usually do, they'll likely have the same expenses as they had the year before. So if you have a really bad year and you need to recover from it, I mean, do you want to take out more debt, like we said? And if it's at a high interest rate, that's going to hurt the business long term. Or are we going to have enough cash on hand where we can burn through some of that cash, get through the rough patch, and, and continue on in a nice growth pattern for the long-term plan and the long-term journey of the business? So that's why I just focus on this cash and cash equivalents at the end of the year. In that blog post I mentioned, I actually call this net cash. And it's funny because most everything in the finance world and with the stock market is very defined earnings means earnings and assets mean assets. But when you come to the cash flow statement, that term net cash, you can Google it. And the last time I Googled it, there was actually two or three different definitions with different parts of the cash flow statement for the same term. So it's really a toss up. And that's why it's another reason to be careful if you're really going to do this kind of stuff in depth with, with a scientist dissection kind of mindset Really just be careful with that. Another, I think, did you cover the increase slash decrease in cash and cash equivalents? Or should I uh, cover that real quick? Why'd you cover that real quick? Okay, so they kind of label it differently. I think in most cash flow statements, I've seen it as like change in cash and cash equivalents. And that's basically going to talk about the difference between the cash at the beginning of the year, difference between what it is at the end of the year. So... Some people like to use that number because, I mean, it makes sense. If you have three years of of you spending more cash than you're keeping, then obviously that can be a warning sign. But again, at the end of the day, I just care about that that final value because I want to make sure that there's enough to weather the storm. Now, to use that metric successfully and to be able to use it in the whole scope of how we use all of the other metrics that I talk about on seven steps to understanding the, the stock market, that free ebook that I offer where all the different ratios are on there. What I like to use is the price to cash. So it's very similar to price to earnings, price to book. We're basically going to make sure that in relation to the size of the business and everything else within it, as long as price to cash is reasonable, I don't need it to be spectacularly perfect or very, very attractive or very, very low. But as long as it's somewhere around 10 and it's, it's really a loose parameter. So even something like a 30 or even a 40 could be okay, depending on the entire picture, but just to make sure, you know, 
compared to the earnings, compared to the whole asset value, book value of the business, as long as cash, the cash balance of a business is reasonable, as long as it's enough to give some short-term buffer against liquidity, that's all I care about. And so you can pick and choose how how deep down the rabbit hole you really want to go or how simple you want to make it. This is how we perceive it and this is the best way we could figure that we could break this down for you and feel free to take the information and run. But in a nutshell, that's the cash flow statement. All right, folks. Well, that's going to do it for today's session. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed our discussion of the cash flow statement. We tried to break it down as simply as we could for you and tried to give you some specific information on different things. If you have any questions or you'd like to talk to us more about this, please reach out to Andrew and I so we could get you on the show and we could chat a little bit. We'd love to have some more people on here to talk about investing and see what we can do to help you with this. That's what we're here for. Remember, we're trying to learn how to invest with a margin of safety, the emphasis on the safety part, and we want to help. So we're here for you. And if you have a moment, please give us a review on iTunes. We want to see how we're doing. We want to see what people think of our show, and we want to have more people be able to see us and hear us so that we can help more people because that's what we're here for. Without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and say goodbye. So thanks for listening, and you guys have a great week. We'll see you next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.